And I'm Grant. Uh, before we get started, please make sure to check out our old episodes on acast.com. Just search up The Atypical Rainbow. Don't forget to follow us at The Atypical Rainbow on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and share and like and do all the good things so that other people can also discover us. Because the more people listen, the more incentive we have to do it. Although we are enjoying it just for the sake of enjoying it. So thank you all 20 listeners. So today... Which is 20 more than I expected. Or at least 15 more than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> So today, we have another uh, episode in the series, Atypical Philosophy. Uh, I want to talk a bit about adulting, which is a term that I very much enjoy and only really discovered in the last few years, maybe because it was only really invented in the last few years. So one of the things that I discover in my line of work, working with people with intellectual disabilities, is that having a team is really important. So, you know, when a person with uh, special needs is looked after by, say, a single parent, it's really a struggle. And, and that's not that's completely understandable, right? The single parent has finite resources. They still need to look after themselves, potentially other children, as well as the child with special needs. They need to earn incomes. And there's just a lot of responsibility, but things fall by the wayside. But when the NDIS came in, there was a lot of push for the introduction of carers and more support, and, and things got better. The parent got less stressed. The child thrived. It all worked, you know? And... We talk a lot about um, sometimes it takes a village to do things, except I find that culturally, at least in sort of Australian culture or Western culture, really, there's this great expectation that by a certain age, you shouldn't need anyone. Like you just, no matter whether what, what your issues are, whether you have, you know, mental illness or you have a disability, there, there comes a point when you just like, you just got to deal with it. That is the end. And I'm not, I'm not really on board with that. Like, I, you know, on the one hand, I want to teach Jake and Matt about independence and about self-reliance, but I also don't want to send the wrong message, which is that it is really important to be uh, supported and find the group of people that give you what you need, even if they, you know, and not sort of depending on one person to do all of it, but for everyone to kind of do their bit so that when you need something, you can reach out. Yeah, I think one of the problems might be capitalism. Damn capitalism. We can all hate on it. <laughs> because, like, if if a parent needs to continue caring for their child, especially a mother, for a longer amount of time, then that can affect their superannuation, whether they become homeless as a, you know, an above 50 woman. Like, we have a society that's entirely created around this idea that you'll have two incomes in all families, and that the mother will take off maybe a certain amount of time, but then she'll go back to work. So if it takes a few extra years, we don't live in a system that supports that at all. Mm. Um, and also, you know, we, are, we live in a, situa- a system that only rewards paid work, not unpaid work. I think even in sort of the more traditional... Eastern, like not traditional, like ancient, but more traditional, like a few generations ago. The idea of the grandparents raising the children is so that the parents can work. So it's still kind of capitalist, but at least helps. But I think the distinction there is that people probably would have had children when they were very young. Like, you know, to be a mid-twenties woman and unmarried and not have children was seen as wastage, (laughs) essentially. So, you probably had grandparents who were of an age and a physical capability where they could look after young children and run around after them. Whereas, you know, nowadays, you know, the, the average age of child rearing is about 
is in the thirties, I think, depending on which sub demographic you choose. I don't. I, this this is a, a wild claim. I don't have anything to support this, but I, I'm pretty sure the like the birth age is higher than it would have been a few generations. Well, yeah, ago. Anec- anecdotally, at twenty six, um, I was quite young. Yeah, compared to the people, like we do live in a high socioeconomic area. suburb and yeah. area, so I was only comparing to them because it was a local group. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like when we were doing age brackets for some, it was something to do with renting a space for our playground sign. Um, only two of us were in the 25 to 30 bracket. Everyone else was above 30. Mm. Um, with, I guess, one year olds. Yeah. And I think, I think Annabelle Crabbe's Men at Work talks about this. One of, one of her essays about sort of gender inequality is that for women in Western societies, uh, the the sort of the age of the first child is getting later because women are in more time on their career, which is of course what they're entitled to do. But then the consequence of that, of course, is that the grandparents become older and older. So you know, our parents are still of an age where they can definitely look after the kids, but they don't necessarily want to have to look after children. Like they've, it's it's a different kind of setup, you know. So your parents worked their whole lives and kind of got to retirement, and they they worked towards it so that they could spend time doing the things they wanted to do, which is completely understandable. Whereas my mum particularly sort of kind of thought that at some point she would take on that parenting role. But obviously we then lived in a Western society and my expectations were different. And that was a bit of a disappointment for her, um, you know, when we had kids. Yeah. So but I think they, they all help. And geography can also affect it. Yes. Like... They they were able to help me because I was in the same state, whereas my siblings, not necessarily in the same state when they were at the same stages. Mm. So they couldn't get the same parental help. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of factors that determine it. Um, but to go back to your original point about the fact that we all need help. Is mm. that right? Yeah, so more, more about individual care rather than parenting mm. support per se. Yeah, like I just want to make the point that, yeah, we do value paid work and freeing people up to do paid work rather than unpaid work. So we expect parents to do the unpaid work because they're the parents, but it's hard to ask that of someone else to give up some paid work in order to do unpaid work to help you. Can you give an example? Well, like, so say you're, like, say the grandparents are only in their 40s and therefore they're still in their career. Like if they're working nine to five... And you're, you know, the parents are also working nine to five. It's hard to have the grandparents help out as much. Mm. Like, your mum had very flexible working arrangements because she owned her own business. Yeah. So she was able to help me on the mornings I needed. And my dad was semi-retired at the time. So he was able to help out once a week. But if they had been in, you know, high stress corporate jobs nine to five, I would have just had to cope. Yeah. Because no one was be no one be coming around and spending the first half of Tuesday or Wednesday helping with the twins. But isn't it interesting that your examples immediately fall to direct family members? So I guess in my line of work, what I'm kind of thinking about is paid carers, which is which which we did. You know, we had a nanny for a little while, um, but like. You know, there are other places where people rely on their neighbours or their friends or, you know, we have a system. Like, I remember early on when we, when the kids were babies, we had a roster of babysitters who were our friends. Just, who were willing to and able to spend a night just, you know, being there while the kids slept uh, so that we could go out and do some adult things, right? Whereas, 
not everyone necessarily has that. And I, I feel bad for them. Like, people who, who move interstate away from their family, or um, whose job requires them to be somewhere else. Like, just that kind of separation is, is kind of difficult. Yeah, also, a lot of our friends hadn't had children at that stage. Mm, true. So we're, they, we were able to use them as babysitters more than they were able to use us because by the time they had babies, you know, we were like, oh yeah, <laughs> we're a bit busy with our own children. Yeah, that's true. I think I've moved, we've moved away a little bit from my original point, which is more about individual support rather than support for the function per se. So recently I've been going through a lot of uh, sort of reconsiderations about my career and what I want to do. And one of the thoughts I always come back to is the idea that I wish someone would just do it for me. Like, and I know, I know that's probably something everyone thinks about, but sometimes it's just really tiring to make decisions and to think about things and to uh, consider other people's needs and sort of balance it all up. But like, it's, it's really quite exhausting. One of, um, one of my friends often says to me that he wishes he was 16 again. Now, that's, that's important because 16 for him wasn't great. <laughs> like, there were, there were other issues at play, but what he was looking for was that feeling of no responsibility, that feeling where the decisions that you made only affected you and then you can go kind of just give and take what you want. And I, I get that because as much as I um, appreciate and love the kind of things that come with the responsibility, responsibility of having a family, being in a marriage, having a dog, having a secure job, at the same time, it is exhausting some days. And I just mm. wish, sometimes I wish that someone would just do it for me for a little while, you know? But who is this imaginary person? Like, is I, it a neighbour? Is it a family member? I don't know. Well, that's the thing. I don't, but, you know, as soon, the problem is, is that if we think about that sort of babysitting example, or the, the example about assisted care, you know, often we get to the family member stage, and then after that, we don't necessarily go further. Right? The automatic mm. assumption is it's either a family member or a paid person, right? But is there another option? Is there another way to gain support? And I guess I'm not necessarily looking for one single person to live my life for me, although that would be very convenient. But, you know, how do you create a life that relieves the pressure off of you? Well, interestingly, I was listening to a podcast earlier today and a guest was like, she was, she'd be a single mother, I think... She was having a difficult pregnancy, but also had young kids. So she was spending like the day in the hospital being observed, but then she had to go pick up the kids and drop off the kids. So if she had a partner, she'd just be on bed rest. Mm. Um, and she's like, I just really wish someone had brought me a casserole. Yes. Yeah. And the first comment was, "You, that's what churches are good for. Like mm. if you're in a church, when you're going through a hard part of your life, someone will bring you a casserole. Yeah. So maybe... Like in traditionally, you would have had a church. Mm. You would have had a village church, and you know, someone might have brought you a casserole. Admittedly, that was probably also the same time where all the women wouldn't be working, so they're probably free to make you a casserole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which does go back to that starting point. But maybe we kind of have lost a bit of that society thing. Like I think during COVID, there's a lot of stories about regaining some of that, like sort of regaining the community of the street, looking after the elderly people in your street by going and getting their shopping, mm. say. Admittedly, if you go to the shop and you try to buy four litres of milk during COVID, it was like, no, you can only buy two litres of milk, which is <laughs> a bit hard if you're buying for, like, your next-door neighbours. Yes. <laughs> your little note. <laughs> <laughs> Dear shopping clerk, I'm an old person. Please give this person twice as much milk as normal. <laughs> I promise they're giving half of it to me. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so I think sometimes you can kind of lose that. Like I remember at the start of COVID when, like before we went to lockdown, but when people were panic buying toilet paper and like it was all over Facebook. It's like, how can you toilet paper? My immediate thought was maybe, like maybe I should offer to run like a toilet paper exchange program through the school. Like people who have extra toilet paper can just bring it into school and people who don't have any toilet paper can grab some at the end of the school day. <laughs> From our toilet paper exchange program. Well, see, that would be nice because, you know, I was hoarding before it was cool. So we yeah, always had excess toilet paper. You were Costco, Costco buying. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, like, we then went to lockdown, so it wouldn't have worked for very, <laughs> very long. <laughs> but also, like, at the start of the year when um, some people were coming back from holidays in Asia. And it was like, just don't come to school for two weeks. Like, before we were quarantining them in hotels. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll keep an ear out if anyone, you know, is doing the right thing by going to lockdown for two weeks. I'll see if they need some groceries. Mm. And I can just leave groceries on their front doorstep. And I think we, I think there was a point where maybe we gave toilet paper to my parents or something. Or we were, or we were going to possibly, like, just leave a bag of toilet paper on our front doorstep and they'd just, like, take it and leave us a different present. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Uh, which, you know, if you're doing it with your neighbours, it's much more convenient if you're doing people half an hour away. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, I think you can regain those things maybe in crisis, but it's not our normal state anymore. No, and then the question is, why? Like, how did we end up in a position where we now just kind of expect that we'll be alone? Like, and, you know, as I said at the, right at the beginning, we're teaching our kids to do that. We're teaching our kids to basically say, don't rely on people, because you just, you have to figure out your own things and do what's best for you. And not in that kind of selfish kind of way, but in, almost in this preservation sort of way. Is that, yeah, okay, if you can develop a community, good on you, that's great, do that, have the connections that you need to. But ultimately, the the person that'll always be there is you. And that's accurate, but also really sad. Yeah. But I think we're just preparing them for what society is going to expect of them. It's a bit like the please thing. Yes. You can't just make a stand and say, I'm not going to teach my child to say please. Mm. Because it's not going to work well for them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, preparing them for the reality of what they're going to come into as our society is the only real option. You can't prepare them for a utopia that doesn't exist. Yeah. See, I was um, was, was thinking a lot about, you know, adulting in terms of work. So... As a quick update, I have gone and quit my job at the transgender clinic. It just, it didn't work out for me. It wasn't, it wasn't the right kind of setting. And uh, on a positive note, I, I think I learned more Nothing to do myself. with being transgender, just to do with being GP work. Yeah, yeah. The people were lovely though. Like my patients were lovely. The people who worked there were amazing. Like everyone was just really good. But I knew deep down, like in my gut, that it just wasn't the right thing for me. Right. And I think one of the biggest things that it kind of made me realize is that I need to be able to let go of responsibilities sometimes. So when I'm on a holiday, I don't have to think about work. I don't have to worry about work. I don't have to think about what's coming back to me, right? But inherently, the the industry that I've entered, you can only sort of partially let go. Like, in a hospital system, it's very different. You know, you go on a rotation every three months. So there's this sort of expectation that you're not going to stick around long term. You hand over to the registrar or the next intern or whatever the next person is. And the expectation is that it just rotates, right? There's no consistency. But the problem in private practice is that, you know, I might go away for five weeks and I'll enjoy my five weeks. But as soon as I get back... There have been problems waiting for me 
Like, it's, it's not that someone else went and took them from me and did them for me. It's that people would wait. They would hold on to their problems until they got back. And that's exhausting. Like, that's a lot of responsibility to take, you know? Um, and, of, you know, in, in part, I do enjoy helping people. I do enjoy getting results and making their lives better. But sometimes I just want to, to go, can you just go away for a bit? Like, can you just stop making my life harder? I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to help. I can't do this. There's too many things happening. I think that's what it is. It's just sometimes, as much as I enjoy the things in my life, sometimes it's just nice to be able to leave it to someone else for a little bit, you know? Yeah. I I completely get that. We all need some time off. Um, And yeah, I think it's hard for GP. Like, it's... I think of your mother. Like, she has the more extreme version of what you have. Because she's been looking after, basically, a community for so long that she's, you know, been helped generations of her family. Mm. And also, sometimes they'd see her at the supermarket and ask her questions. Oh, yeah. Which, thankfully, you don't really have that problem. Yes. But, yeah, so, yeah, I can I can understand why a GP would be unable to escape it. And mm. I imagine with your mum, because, you know, people trust her after seeing her for decades, they just wait until she comes back if she goes on leave. Yeah. They, they don't let another person help. Like they don't let a locum help or another doctor help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're kind of the same. Like, I always go to the same GP. So I'll, I'll wait an extra week to go to the GP who I don't have to explain my entire history to. <laughs> yeah. Rather than see a different GP. But at the same time, though, I think GPs particularly can be very hit and miss. Like, the clinic we attend, uh, the GP that we have, we like because she gets us... Um, she actually trusts us and she'll sort of work with us. Whereas there are GPs out there who, uh, who I've encountered at the same clinic who just, who didn't bother listening to me at all. Who just kind of decided their own thing, dismissed me within five minutes. And it, it was just, it was kind of crap really. Just on, on that topic, which is a complete tangent, actually, I've, I've become a little bit obsessed with Malcolm Gladwell and we're going to, I think we're going to have some um, episodes based around some of the things that he's uh, written and done. A fact that he uncovered a, a while ago was that people are less likely to sue their doctors if they like them, <laughs> which is, so it doesn't matter whether the doctor is necessarily competent, it matters whether they like them, which is fascinating. So people are more likely to sue someone for incompetence if they were had a bad bedside manner or had a bad approach, then someone who they know well, who has done well, who might who made maybe made the exact same mistake. Obviously, there are degrees of mistakes and the degrees of issues, but it is it is an interesting kind of um, fact. Yeah, but I guess on the flip side, if you go see someone once and they make a mistake, you don't know whether they've made that mistake with twenty people who've only seen them once. Or whether they've been perfect with 20 people and then you're the one they made a mistake with. Yeah. Whereas if you go to someone for years and they've done a really good job and then they make one mistake, you're like, oh, well, you know, this is just a once-off. Yeah. It's not that I need to put into writing because this person's getting away with making mistakes with everyone and everyone's like, oh, well, it's just one mistake. Mm. Uh, which is how people, you know, faked being doctors for a while. That is true. That is <laughs> true. Because people just didn't report the fact they had no idea what they're doing. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so I, I I understand why people would be less likely to sue someone they like. I think that's probably true outside of medicine would be my guess as well. Yeah. Like if you have a good relationship with your neighbour, you're less likely to take them to arbitration over a fence. <laughs> yes, that is certainly true. Yeah. You know, I guess... Or call the council on them. Yeah. Yep. And and that's the, you know, taking a, the old sort of autistic perspective. I know that Jake particularly likes to be liked. 
You know, he's, he finds it's really important for him to to be nice to everyone. But that can be really exhausting. And I find that as well as part of my work. There are some people who I encounter who I really want to be mean to. Like, it doesn't really... Who are absolute jerks, who are absolutely deserve to be yelled at. But I'd rather... I'd rather be liked than be myself. Yeah. Which is exhausting in and of itself. And I, 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 feel, I don't know whether that's just an autism thing or an adult thing. But I feel like it's an adult thing, you know? Like, as a kid, you know, in general, unless a, someone beats it out of us, we, we're just ourselves. As a child, you just are who you are. And it was like, aw, what a cute child twirling around in circles. That's beautiful. Like, that's... And no one, no one thinks, oh, why are you doing that? Stop doing that. You just kind of go... Well, it depends on what you're doing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like, well, obviously, you know, if you're hitting people, not so great. <laughs> or even just having a tantrum. Like, one year can make a big difference. Yeah, I guess Between, oh, you know, oh, look at that kid having a tantrum... I've been there, I understand that too. What's that parent doing wrong? Why is that kid having a tantrum? Yeah. Especially when it comes to autistic kids. That year, they haven't... They're no less likely to have the tantrum. They just look bigger and therefore the parents more likely to be judged in public. Yeah, we've, which we've, we've talked about before. And yeah, I, I, I guess that's that's the thing. You know, how, how much should we be expecting of ourselves? I think that's the big question that I'm asking. Sort of, as a, what what does it mean to be an adult? Well, yeah, like I think we talked about before the expectation that going to lab clubs is fun, mm. or that you know you want you want to go out places. Yeah, and it's like if you don't want to go out places, you're not normal. That's weird. Or you don't want to go to nightclub. That's weird because mm. they're fun places. So I think yeah, you just got to be nice to yourself. And kind of just go, okay, this doesn't suit me. Like, I don't need to be the same as everyone else. I don't have to like the same things. I don't like to... I don't have to enjoy the same things. So you just give yourself some slack. I think sometimes we're really bad at doing that. But that, that, like, that only really works with hobbies. What if it comes to work? What if you are stuck in a job that you hate? That you just... It doesn't suit you? It depends you? on why you're stuck. For example? Like, if you're stuck because financially you're stuck. Like, it's the only job you can get, um, and if you quit, your kids are going to have no food. Mm. That's different from just feeling like you're stuck, because you're like, oh, I really enjoy making 300000 per year. Yeah. <laughs> you're not really stuck, you just think you're stuck. But it's still the same kind of emotion. It depends on how you built your life around it, though. You know, like, if you... Yes, okay, the idea of earning $300,000 a year, that's great, except what if... Say seventy percent of that is going to private school fees for your kids, right? And they're and they're really happy there. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, yeah, I know. Like, there's there's different amounts of stuckness. I think like it's it's it would be easy to just say, oh, you know, find something you like. But some people that's not an option for. Yeah, because of their education or just their job opportunities, or maybe they're an ex-con. Mm. Like some people do have to settle. Yeah, when it comes to jobs. Um, unfortunately we can't all just be in a job we love, but yeah, that, that is different from someone who's, I guess, too afraid to follow their dreams or something. Yeah. But it's, it's like, it's a very complicated thing. Like just, I'm not saying that just because you're on a large salary means you're not stuck because some of the people on, on large salaries are stuck. Mm. Then maybe they're in a lot of debt. Maybe, you know, their husband put them in a lot of debt and then got sick. <laughs> yes. So you, you, like, yeah. There's no rule to determine who is validly stuck and who's not. But I, I think this is why, again, I, I want to come back to the idea of support, right? So 
if um, a person who was stuck in a crappy job but had to work because it was the only thing they were qualified for or because they've got a family they need to feed and, you know, the, the person they're with or they're not with anyone or the person they're with can't work, then where else can we ease their burden? Like, okay, so, so this part, unfixable, right? Yeah. What, what else could be done to give them the support? And, or, or, and then why do we as a society just kind of go, oh, well, suck it up? Like, why do we just say, you work in a crappy job? We all work in crappy jobs. Like, it's, mm. it's so dismissive. Yeah, that, that is very dismissive. I like my job, so I try not to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so... I don't, yeah, it is hard because... So say, you know, they have no family and they're in a crappy job and it's the only one that fits the hours of their kids. It'd be awesome if their neighbour helps out. Mm-hmm. But their neighbour might also be drowning. <laughs> yes. Like, I said to a friend recently that sometimes we're all drowning and all we can do is not step on each other's heads to try to get to the edge of the pool. <laughs> Mm, that's a good metaphor. Um, because, yeah, like, it's like, okay, that person's not helping me, but I'm not helping them because we're both not coping. Yeah. Um, so I think sometimes family will step up because they're family, um, but it's harder to ask a neighbour to step up if they're also struggling. But how do you know, though? I think that's but you the... Don't, but that's the thing. You don't even know what's going on in someone's life. Yeah. Like, and I think, yeah, like... It, we're not living in a small rural village where we all go to church together on Sunday anymore. Mm. So it can be hard to know if, you know, the next door neighbour, you know, is having some trouble. Like, you, you don't know. Like, recently you told me how long it's been since one of our neighbours had worked. Because he told you, you know, that day. But the thing is, neither of us had noticed. We didn't know where he was working. Mm. <laughs> so it's quite possible to live next to someone and not know their situation unless they tell you. Uh, so it's hard to expect str- basically strangers who just live in proximity to you to be able to step up and help you. Yeah. Maybe that's why we go to family first. Maybe because family is the one we know. And we yeah. sort of have this certain expectation, which, you know, for some people is not valid. That family will do something for you because they're family. You mm. know? But- and friends can step up. Like, to go back to COVID, I think COVID was a really big stepping up thing. Um, so during COVID, one of my friends basically, like it wasn't a marriage, but their relationship fell apart. Mm. So they suddenly became a single parent basically while trying to, re- you know, work remotely and their child to remotely learn. And I basically said, if you want to just send your kid here, you know, the difference between having two kids on iPads, remotely learning and three is not that much. You know, I'm here, I'm on call for whatever's going on. I can manage the three kids. As It's only slightly harder than the two kids. And you need to work. Because you need money. So as a friend I stepped up. It wasn't a family thing. So friends can step up. Uh, but sometimes as a friend it's hard to know what to offer. Mm. Like in that situation I was like. Okay this is something I can offer. Like. But if I was also trying to work. And I was also not coping with the fact that, you know, the kids were trying to remotely learn while I was trying to work. Then we'd both just be two people drowning and neither of us would be in a position to help each other. Mm. So I was lucky enough to be in a position to help them, to offer my help. They didn't take it at me up on it. Yeah. But I offered it. Yeah. Uh, they got help from a family member. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They had a family member who, you know, didn't have their own child, children who could cut like an aunt came around and helped. Mm. Um, and I know that um, my aunt and uncle who were retired basically did all the remote learning 
with their grandchildren. So they took one kid each and did the remote learning because one of those is younger than our boys. So, you know, he really needed the more an adult the entire time. Mm. So in order for his parents to continue working, um, the retired grandparents did the remote learning. So everyone kind of had to find their way of doing things. But yeah, like sometimes it is good to be able to like just offer something. Like I, I do try to offer a specific thing because I find that often if you offer what can I do, it's just too general. Yeah. So like if a, if a friend seems to be, you know, not coping with mental health, you can say, do you want to have a coffee? Mm. <laughs> or, you know, can I get something from the shop because you're too anxious to leave your house? And I think if you are, if you offer them a specific, or oh, can I babysit your bunnies while you move? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I recently did. Mm. Uh, would it would it be easier for you while you're physically moving all your furniture for your bunnies to sit in my house? Mm. So if you're looking for ways to, I guess, help people with adulting, <laughs> then I'd say just oh, make a specific offer. Because if you do a general offer, then either you might get asked to do something you really don't want to do. <laughs> mm. Like you suddenly end up helping someone move when you don't want to. <laughs> um, or they just they just go, no, I'm just kind of overwhelmed. I don't have time to think, what can this person do to help me? Yeah. Or sometimes, if you look at it from, from the other end, if you're the person who is wanting the help, sometimes it's hard to know who to ask. So for me, mm. I often... The question often runs in my head, am I bothering them? You know? Yeah. Uh... And I was saying, well, am I, you know, they've got their own problems. I like one of the things I commonly hear when people uh, come to me with depression, they're like, I don't want to burden people with my problems. And I just think that's really self-defeating because you need to share the problem. Like, I, I know, I know it is tiring and you, you might feel guilty about it, but you got to talk to someone. You got to get it out there somehow, because if you just hold it in, you're just going to collapse. But I get it though. Like, I completely get where, you, where that comes from. And I kind of, part of me wonders whether people who are live in communities ever feel this whether they ever if they have if you live in a tight knit community do you ever feel like oh i don't want to burden people with my problems or do you just freely share your problems around i don't know like i i think one of the things that i've struggled with is a lot of people come to me for emotional support but then i don't actually go back to them for emotional support mm. Which doesn't make a lot of sense but it's kind of that burdening thing like i think also a lot of people who will dump out their problems on me, are working. So, like, during the day, I'm like, okay, I really like to dump my work, my problems out on someone, but they're working, so I can't call them. Mm. Whereas they can call me if they want to dump out their problems um, because they know that I'm available. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, I spend a lot of time listening to people, but then I don't, I don't reciprocate and ask for that same support. But is that because you don't need it or because you feel bad about asking for it? Because I feel bad about asking for it. Mm. Yeah, like it, it's, I, I do need people to talk to, but I, when it comes to me going, oh, I really, it would be really good for me to talk to someone about this. It can be hard for me to actually just pick up the phone and call someone because I feel like I'm interrupting. Like I often say, is this a good time every time I call someone? Yeah, me too. I do that. Um, you know, or have I woken you up when I call someone and they sound like they've just woken up at like, I don't know, 12 o'clock or 2 o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon. I still ask them if they've just woken up because you never know. Mm, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm not particularly good at asking for help for what I need. Mm. Yeah. So I don't, while it's not a specific symptom of autism necessarily, I do think that is somewhat autistic. 
because uh, and maybe because you and I share the same traits, I don't know. But I, I and and don't get me wrong, I don't think it's an exclusive autism thing either. I think plenty of people experience it, but it's it's self defeating. Like it's a really it's a real problem. You know that kind of how do I perfectly ask the question? Can you please help me? I'm drowning. Yeah. Which I guess is why sometimes I dump everything out on a psychologist or a GP. Yeah. Like I recently, like, yeah, I went to see the GP for, because I needed, yeah, my prescription was running out. I just dumped everything on it. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, now I'm getting more medication, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you go to a GP and dump out all your mental health problems, you get more medication. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Depends on the GP, but yes. It does depend on the GP. (laughs) But the thing is that, like, yeah, I, I know from being with you that GPs don't have just hours free to listen to you dump out all your problems. Yes. That's what you should be going to a psychologist for. Indeed. Indeed. But, you know... Uh, but then, you know, the government thinks that only takes 10 hours per year, so... <laughs> Geniuses. I, oh, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's a whole nother issue, mental health. Mental health care in Australia, just... Like, I, guess, I guess that's the thing, like, because we've lost the ability for our, you know, our tight-knit farming community to help each other out, now we have to pay for that help. And it can be expensive or limited. But is that a function of our culture? That's, that's my question, right? So why did we stop? Well, that's the thing, like, sometimes people say it's all about the automatic garage door. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, basically, you're in your car, the garage door opens... You drive out, you drive back into the garage, the garage door closes, you get out of your car. You don't interact with your neighbours. You don't say hi or how's your day to your neighbours because you have an automatic garage door. Whereas you used to have to get out and say, and you know, if they were in their front yard and you were in your front yard, you might say hello to them. Otherwise it might feel awkward. So yeah, I think it's very easy to be strangers to the people you live around these days. I think for me, the other problem with me... So, we, you know, we recently made friends with our neighbours. But we've been neighbours for three to five years, I think. Um, that was my fault. I assumed they were renters, so I didn't want to get attacked. <laughs> <laughs> See, but this is, this is my thing, right? So, they're, they're, our neighbours are awesome. I love them. They're, like, they're just the best people, right? Um, and I enjoy spending time with them. But sometimes I just feel like I want to be on my own. I, just, mm. I don't want to have to interact with them just because I see them, right? But it's hard to be able to gauge that. And every now and then, I actually actively avoid them when I see them in the front of their house. Not because I dislike them. It's not, a, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a dislike thing. I love them. They're see, great. I want to see them in the front of their house more. So there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. You can go do the thing. If you see them and you're avoiding them, just message me and I'll just run out the front <laughs> and take your place. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I think my problem is I kind of just want people under certain circumstances, and that feels unfair. You want them when you want them, and you want them to leave you alone. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which is how you are with everyone. Well, exactly. The dog, right. the children, me. <laughs> it's all- you're good at asking for it now. The other day you actually asked, you said, I want to be alone, and I like that. Yes. Because I prefer that to me laying there and you, like, silently resenting my presence. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I think I think that's Harder the with challenge. the dog. He doesn't understand. Indeed. And that's that's the challenge. The challenge is... How do we make it okay to ask to be alone from the same person that you also sometimes want to ask them to be right next to you? Yeah. And I don't know how you do that. I think you just communicate. Mm. And it's hard. It's scary. Yeah. Um, And I have had friendships fall apart 
because I've overestimated how close a friend I am to someone. Yeah. Um, so it is a bit scary for me. But, yeah, like, I... The last couple of weeks, I have started spending an hour with one of my best friends because they're working from home. They're not very far away. Mm. <laughs> but just, I, I think I felt... Like, before... I was really nervous about asking, like, do you want to hang out during your lunch break at home? Like, weekly, or even just once. Because I was like, what if I am imposing on them? But I think they were also thinking, it'd be really nice if Grant came around. Mm. Like, a lot of my friends now, they're working from home. Like, they're like, oh, Grant, you haven't visited me for a few weeks. And I'm like, okay, well, when do you want me to visit you? Like, (laughs) it's this really weird thing. Because I think I spent such a long time being the only one not at work during the day. Mm. Like, I was kind of used to that sort of lone, sort of isolation of that. Like, you know, you be at work, or my friends would be at work. And they, like, when I had little kids, it'd be like, okay, so today I've got some support, but tomorrow I don't. Because, you know, your mum's at work or something. Which is fine. It was like, is what it was. Um, and, you know, all the, parent, the parents' groups... They didn't spend a lot of time on maternity leave. Like, there's a few of them that had a second child, so they were around a bit more. Mm. Um, so I had third and fourth children. <laughs> mm. But yeah, like, early on, the, there was a lot of points when I was kind of like, okay, I've got the boys, and everyone's at work. <laughs> like, everyone I know is at work. <laughs> Doesn't matter their family or friends, they're at work. And I, yeah, so I think that it's a bit hard for me now to sort of go, okay, these people are actually around. Sometimes they, they, because they're at home, they start their work day at 6am, which they can't do in the office. And they're finished by 10. Mm-hmm. Um, unless they have a meeting, they're free to have a coffee. And they seem to really like actually hang out with me. And I'm like, okay, suddenly I'm not imposing. Mm. And, and, you know, I had a friend for quite a few years who was unemployed. So I got, like, we did spend a lot of time just having lunches, which was very nice. But then he started working a lot. So I kind of lost that. So now there's kind of replacing it. It's it's a bit complicated. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I think I am developing a new thing in this sort of remote work era. Mm. But I need to actually have the confidence to actually ask, do you want to hang out with me to people? Yeah. <laughs> Even in my 30s. <laughs> yes. And and these are the kind of difficulties that I don't think necessarily go away. Yeah. Go send them a note. Do you want to be my friend? Yeah. Yes or no? <laughs> I really, sometimes I don't feel like I've developed as an... <laughs> I'm still that child again. <laughs> mm. And I think that's... I mean, that's that's the, the message I guess I want to end on, is that I don't think there's any such thing as an adult. Like, I honestly don't. I, I say this a lot, but I kind of... I got to my 30s and went... Is this how 30s meant to feel? I still feel like I'm in my 20s. And it's because everyone kept telling me, you know, an adult is this. This is what you should do as an adult. Yeah. But honestly, you're just constantly learning. Or there are going to be some inherent difficulties, whether it's autism or not, that are just never going to be easy for you. And that's okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But you got to find ways to get the support, you know? Yeah. Like, um... There are a number of patients that I think could benefit from a social skills group. Like, even in their 30s or their 40s, they might have had friends before, but they're like, I don't know how to do it now. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's find a way to make you a friend. Like, it shouldn't just be, oh, go to a bar, have a hobby. Like, I get it. But also, it's not that helpful. Like, you're not not really facilitating anything. You're giving some, you know, generic advice and then going, okay, on your way, off you go. Hobby's better than bar, I think. Yes, it is. But but even still, though, I just, I think that sometimes it's just nice 
to have um, a companion, like an usher, like someone to just be there with you to transition in through the difficult stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it, it shouldn't just be that as an adult, you have to figure it out for yourself. Mm. It's, it's so, it, it is dis- dismissive. So one of my friends, she says that she finds it easier if she has a job. So she got into this type of music um, and she like runs the door of like an event and that sort of gets her out of the house because she's sort of, she's in charge of collecting stuff on the door and then she gets to go and listen to music. Mm-hmm. So when she was coming around here and there's going to be lots of people, I was like, okay, do you want a job? And she's like, yes. I'm like, okay, so your job is to make sure Matt, yeah, get Matt some food, <laughs> make sure Matt eats and it helped her to have a job to do. Mm. So in that way, I guess I was the usher of her into a social situation. Yeah. So, yeah, it would be nice if someone wandered around being the usher into the social situation. Like, like yeah, it would be nice for what we do for our nine-year-olds to be done for some people in their 30s. Yes. Maybe that should be my new job. Volunteer usher into social situations. Well, you could. Like, <laughs> just just giving, being a companion for someone, being a support, and you know, or just helping them, you know, achieve their thing. There are, yeah, yeah I... I, it's a I life think coach. It is. Well, or sort of. I think, <laughs> I think life coaches still just give instruction. I think what you really just need is a security blanket. I think that's. I would appreciate a security blanket yeah. sometimes. But it's hard because then you have to befriend your security blanket in order to befriend anyone else. <laughs> yeah. So you need to find someone. Like, you're having trouble making friends. So you have to find a friend to make friends. And it kind of seems like it defeats the purpose. Because <laughs> if you have the skills to... To get get security blanket, you actually have the skills that the security blankets can help you with. And then we just kind of wind back to the idea of paid help and yeah, um, yeah, okay, yeah. So adulting is hard. Yeah. Oh, adulting is hard, and yeah. When when you're ten, you think your parents know everything, and then suddenly your parents of ten year olds, and you're like, yeah, they didn't know everything. I just I was wrong about that, and I don't feel like I imagined they must like I I I, I feel like I imagine they must have felt, but. Mm. I don't feel like what I imagined they feel like. <laughs> yeah. I think and maybe that's a lesson to teach, Matt and Jake, is that there's no such thing as an adult. Yeah. You just be you. You're going to have some things that are going to be hard. Yes. And you're just going to constantly be figuring it out. And that's you're allowed okay. across the road and live by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. So the extreme dependence, probably not so great. But no, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, the only difference between an adult and a child is that we get trusted to basically make decisions for ourselves. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's leave it there. Thanks for listening. Uh, make sure to share and do all the good stuff and follow. And, and uh, we hope you enjoyed what we talked about. Thanks very much. Talk to you next time.